0: Hashtag, Wage Slave. Let me explain. This month's essay comes from a place of frustration and radical honesty. I definitely, in the last year, in the last six months, in the last six months especially, I've experienced a shift in how I deal with things. Interpersonally, professionally, emotionally. Um, I let things out. I don't repress. I think we live in a highly repressive country, in a highly repressive culture, and it's completely destructive. It leads to any number of physical, mental, and emotional illnesses. Well, let me first step back. Let me, let me, I'm going to, so the name of this essay is Hashtag Wage Slave. And it has to do with being a wage slave in the modern economy, and where what is the future outcome of that experience what i ultimately come towards is you know solutions uh, you know at the end of this essay are some solutions how to get out how to change your life how to live a better life and how society itself can make life better and i ask some questions as to why society hasn't already done this uh A wage slave is a person who works for a wage especially with total and immediate dependency on the income derived from such labor. That's the dictionary.com definition. I would also add, in my opinion, that a wage slave does physically difficult and generally menial work. I think the physically difficult component is important. A wage slave generally does work that breaks that person down. And that's an important thing to note. The main story I want to tell is about my current job. At least that's the first story. But before I get into that story, I got to tell my own story. Sort of a longer term story. And it, it's, um, I'm just going to go ahead and tell it. There aren't that many listeners right now, anyways, of the podcast. So it's no big deal. In any case, it'll, maybe there'll be la- later, there'll be listeners. It's all good. I've never had a great income. I chose to work at a nonprofit after graduate school, and I got sick of that. I didn't get sick of it, but I just I just realized it wasn't for me. And the the irony, of course, is that I'm trying to build a nonprofit now, um, but it's a very different situation. The type of work that I was doing there was very cerebral, and it was old old school policy making, old school policy advocacy, which is very intellectual. And I don't know that it was going anywhere. It's important, and it, it definitely is part of the iterative historical um, forces that are in society. And that makes it naturally important. But it wasn't where I wanted to be in society. It just wasn't. So I moved to Hollywood, and I wanted to be a filmmaker. And that actually was starting to go pretty well. I was on the sixth season of The Apprentice as an on-camera driver. And I was I got a call back for another TV show, um, which I didn't call back. I didn't call them back, which was a mistake. But in any case, what happened was I came down with bipolarity. And this has forced this has slowed me down tremendously tremendously in life. Forced me to learn a lot of things. Uh, but I've come to terms with it. I, I continue to come to terms with it because I want to find my American dream. And that's, that's life. You know, everyone has challenges, everyone has a destiny, and everyone has challenges on the path towards their destiny. And you have to come to terms with it. It's not, it wasn't supposed to be, it's not going to be easy. You know, living isn't easy. And pursuing the American dream isn't easy. It wasn't supposed to be easy. You just have to do it. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Now, I tell you this because I believe in radical honesty. I tell you this because I believe it helps me liberate myself from the illness, not just in terms of the stigma or taboo, but on a phenomenological and transcendental level. It helps me to deal with it, helps me to move forward. I will someday tell the full story, but I leave it at that for the time being. And I I ended up becoming a meat clerk in 2013 and I worked for a nationally known grocery store. I learned how to cut meat, and I was ultimately at another store and became an assistant manager in retail meat. So I moved forward a little bit. The point is, I'm still in the meat cutting industry, retail meat. And I've been doing it for about four years. And then I I came to my current job in July. In my last job, I really came to Terms with the fact that I do not want to be in this field anymore. Retail is a very hard place to be. Uh, Customers are rude. Customers are um, entitled. You'll get good customers, and good customers are fun. I admit that. Um, There are times when I enjoy helping a good customer, and you'll have a fun interaction, and it brightens your day but i'll say many i'll say a strong portion of the customers are vulgar, ignorant, unenlightened, they're ignorant of food, they don't even know what they want, and they're rude. That's life, and that's just what it is. And uh, i try not to be those things when i go shopping. I try to be very patient and kind towards people in the service sector. I left my old job because I didn't get the manager's position. And the reasons that they provided were, were sound. They were totally reasonable. But I was pissed because uh, I had given I'd given that company a lot. And I decided, you know what? I'm gonna pull back, reevaluate. And the truth is, I didn't give them everything because I don't really like this type of work. I'm not this type of person. I'm an intellectual. I'm someone who wants to do something else. I'm someone who wants to be in the realm of putting out ideas, not just cutting meat or telling other people how to cut meat. And I don't mean to besmirch people who cut meat or who do other things. You know, there's a lot of high income. I, I know I have a relative of mine who works in a labor-oriented field. He works as a heavy equipment operator, and he makes really, really good money. And he's an, you know, he's an impressive guy because he does so well in his job and takes care of business and works hard and does something that's important for other people. He does something that is a public service to others. He can't make mistakes. It's really important work. But the truth is, I don't want to do that either. And it's better income than what I'm doing. It's still labor. It's it's still blue collar. But I wouldn't want to do that either. So you have to know what you want to do in life. And it's taken me a long time to slowly figure out what I want to do, blah, blah, blah. We've all heard that story in any case. Then I came to my current job, and it's a brand new store, and all major grocery store companies want to open new stores and make more money. God forbid they grow slowly and more harmoniously. It's just not going to happen. When a store opens, managers and other personnel from other stores come and help. Then slowly your budget gets whittled down and you're left with what you're you're left with your team and that becomes your team who's going to do the work from here on out. Then your team gets burned out. This is this is a this is the model I've seen. I've seen it a couple times now weak weak team members get stressed out and then they start walking out. So you're down you're down to a a, you're even down to a smaller set subset of your team then management has a choice. Hire new people or see how tough the existing staff is. And the truth is, a lot of people are pretty tough, so they keep working hard, and they work a little bit harder. And the hunch that, the, you know, management's hunch that you're going to do your job and you're going to work harder and you're going to work hard in order to keep your job turns out to be right. Because people don't want to say mercy. They don't want to go take, they don't have time. They literally don't have time to go find new work. So they just put their head down and keep working. But the work becomes drudgery. Because you never have a chance to catch your breath. This is the life of the wage slave. And it is a horrible life. And it is the life that many people in America live. And the truth is, my job as a meat cutter is better than a lot of people's jobs. I get a little bit more money for what I do than what a lot of people do in fast food. The fast food worker, God bless the fast food worker. That is a hard, hard job. God bless the Walmart worker. I couldn't imagine working for Walmart. If I were to be working at Walmart, I would be broken because I see what it's like. It's like working for a government. That's how bizarre it is to me. That's just my perspective. That's how it looks like from a distance. In any case, I never worked for Walmart before. I've seen people fall and work with injured backs I see people working through emotional trauma that is in part due to the work pressure and the work tension. It's not all completely because of the work tension, because everyone brings the trauma from their early childhood and they bring the trauma from their life to work. That's part of life. But some of it gets re-triggered by the tensions at work. It's not pleasant. Where I'm at right now is possibly the most challenging situation I've ever dealt with in terms of ordinary work pressure. That's withstanding of course interpersonal conflicts which have made other work sites hard you know interpersonal conflict is another factor in retail work and and work in general every level of work but in terms of ordinary work pressure you know just being asked to physically perform as often as efficiently as high pr- in such a high productive manner i'm in the most challenging environment i've ever been and it's doable. And I don't even, you know, I'm I'm the last person to pressure myself. And I'm, you know, I'm known for that, I think, where I work. People don't, people know I'm not going to bust my ass. And I'll probably won't get as big a pay raise when it comes time for to give out pay raises. But they don't even give big pay raises from what I understand, you know, from what I understand from my company. And I don't want to, the other thing I want to say is that I'm thankful for my company. I'm thankful for my job. I'd be up shit creek without my job. I'd be in real trouble. Because when you're not working, you have a whole other set of problems on your hands. You know, you're not busy. You're physically inactive. You know, it's way, it's, that's a whole other set of problems. And then you have no money. That's a whole other set of problems. But in any case, that doesn't take from the discussion of wage slavery and the pain of being a wage slave. So the question I've been asking myself is There's two, two questions. There's probably three questions. Why are wages so low? Why is structural inequality seemingly inevitable? And why do people have to work so much? Why do you have to work so many hours to live a safe and healthy life? And you're not really even living a safe and healthy life. You're living, you're living a safe life, but not really a healthy life. Now, I was thinking about this subject a little bit, you know, I'm definitely thinking non-linearly. You know, just sort of trying to debate the issue in my own head. And I was thinking about how, and this is some of these statistics. You've already heard these statistics. It's just these are things you already know. But the top one one percent now owns fifty percent of total global wealth. How did that happen? Who did that? Why is that? That's the question I'm proposing to you. I don't think that that is a mathematical, natural transcendental or natural process. I think that is a political and social process, a socially constructed phenomena that didn't just happen out of nowhere. I'm not getting into conspiracy. I'm getting into to the fact that it came from somewhere. It might have been conspiracy, but I'm not saying that. I'm saying it came from a set of choices and I want to point that out. That's what's one idea I want to definitely emphasize now and probably Again, in a moment, according to that's that statistic comes from Credit Suisse, according to the Washington Post, since 2013, America's top 1% owns 40% of the total U.S. wealth, having gone up nearly three percentage points. Mathematically, that means the bottom 99% lost in their share of the wealth. So I always ask one basic question first. And I kind of already answered it, I already asked it. Is this an offense against nature? No, I don't think it's an offense against nature. I tend to agree, there's a guy named Stefan Molyneux, and I might be saying his name wrong, but he says that rights don't exist. And I kind of agree with him, that, that there's human rights don't fundamentally exist in a natural, scientific, mathematical, or transcendental sense. They are always socially constructed. The point is, there's still a problem, and that's that wage slavery is completely inharmonious, and it's completely destructive and painful. And I'm, I feel kind of bad doing this this essay because am I complaining? I don't want to be a complainer. I don't want to be known as a complainer. But it's it's been on my mind. This is the subject that's been on my mind lately, so I share it. So, getting back to what I was saying a moment ago, we know that markets are socially constructed. That, I think, is a pretty well-established idea among many people. But markets are a socially constructed phenomenon. But what about wages? Are not wages, therefore, socially constructed? And if wages are socially constructed, can we not socially construct them to be higher? I'm not even necessarily discussing a minimum wage, although maybe that is something that we can talk about because I definitely don't think the evidence, the, the research, the social scientific research, says that a minimum wage is necessarily bad for the economy or that it necessarily reduces employment. I think, I think that's a questionable argument that needs to be unraveled carefully. I'm not getting into that question. I'm just saying if 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 the market is socially constructed, are not wages socially constructed, and cannot we change wages in America? Cannot we change the work week? Cannot we make life less of a drudgery? One of the reasons why I don't think people want to tinker with this system is that they ultimately believe that one day they will become a millionaire. And as long as the possibility is out there somewhere to move up, they're hesitant to have policymakers tinker with the market. The funny thing is that social mobility in the United States is rare and falling since the early 1980s. At the same time, inequality is common and rising since the early 1970s. According to Michael Carr in the Emily Weimers of the University of Massachusetts, declines in lifetime earnings mobility are largest for college-educated workers, including middle-class workers, but it's also fallen for everyone across education attainment. According to researchers at Harvard, Berkeley, and the U.S. Treasury, only 10% of people in the bottom fifth of the wealth distribution will make it to the top fifth. And for the middle class, you have a similar result. Only 20% of people in the middle fifth will rise to the top fifth over the course of their lives. There's a researcher named Joseph Ferry, or Ferry, I'm not sure how to say his name, of Northwestern University, and he also claims that uh, studies misdetermine mobility by not analyzing the effect of your grandparents' wealth. In the end, studies have overestimated social mobility in the United States. So this is the question I'm posing. There's very little promise that you're going to get out of your position of being a wage slave based on our, our understanding of social mobility. And yet we know markets are socially constructed, and therefore wages are probably in some, to some degree socially constructed, to some degree. So why don't people turn to public policy to improve their lives? Why don't people ask for help? There is something to be said for the Protestant work ethic, which is basically, you know, you just put your head down and work to get yourself out of the situation that you're in. And that, that does work. Across time, there has been improvement across time, but I think it's been slow. And it's slowing. But what do people think about this? I don't know. What do you think about this? That's my question I pose to you. I am going to talk about entrepreneurship. I am going to say that one of the solutions to this problem is just fucking quit your job and go start your own business. You know, that's the sort of conservative view. And I think that's a good idea. I think that's a reasonable approach. And I think more and more people are doing that because of the internet. The internet is liberating people. And it's an exciting time. But before I get into that, I've sort of said that one, but I'll come back to it in a moment. So the first point I want to say is one solution to this problem might be a universal basic income. Not only does this bring more resources into the hands of the working poor, so they do not have to work so many hours, it may drive wages up to ensure people choose to work. It simply makes life more pleasant and less physically and mentally challenging. If you think this idea is crazy, consider that it is gaining momentum. The World Economic Forum had a session on universal basic income. Stockton, California is trying it out. Several places in Canada and Europe are trying it out. Bill Gates has sort of discussed the notion of a robot tax, which would be a way of funding a universal basic income. You know, the whole point of a universal basic income, or at least one of the points of it, is that as people are replaced by automation and robots and things like that they're going to need incomes to survive or we're just going to kill them all off you know or just fight it out or whatever and that's fine too we could do that you know we can do it all but that's the point you know you're going to have to find a solution to have you know to people not working and I'd say now is why not now? You know, why not alleviate the suffering now? Um, maybe it would have been nice to have done it in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, but we didn't. So why not now? And I think there's an argument to be made that wages were stronger in those time periods. I think that is an argument that uh, is a pretty sound one. Entrepreneurship is a perfectly sound solution to this problem of wage slavery. If you're a wage slave, build a business. I think that entrepreneurship and food and energy are where people will find non-wage slave jobs in the future. No doubt about it. Especially food. Because all you need is a little bit of land and you can grow food. And other people might buy it. Other people will buy it. Or you can sew. There's sewing. There's crafting. There's crafting there's all types of stuff that people are doing now. And it is exciting. And, you know, the ease with which you can make a website to market these items, or to build a uh, Instagram to market these items is that the ease and the cost of doing that is tremendously low. So it's an exciting time. It's not just all about looking to government for a solution. You can look to yourself. There's no doubt about that. And in many ways, that's why I do this option three podcast and the option three project in general. you know this project started in 2012 as a blog and I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know you know I started it because I I started it based on instinct and intuition and we'll see where it goes. I definitely am building it out. I hope it grows I hope it grows. I hope it does make an income. no doubt about that. Another solution is a more progressive tax system, along with subsidized, semi-socialized, or fully socialized healthcare, education, and municipal transportation. We're not necessarily talking about full socialization, necessarily. What if we socialized insurance for major illness and let people pay for the rest of their preventative and other care? I just, these are just ideas I thought about, you know. In any case, the, the main point here is a more progressive tax system. If we live in a world of low social mobility, I have no problem with large taxes on the rich. In fact, even with high levels of social mobility, I don't have a problem with large taxes on the rich, including me if and when I am rich. And I don't understand why this is a problem for other people particularly. And this is my last point. You know, I hope I'm not being... I hope people don't look at me as sort of a uh, class warfare type person, but this is all especially true for the super rich. I do not understand why we have seven tax brackets and not several more for higher income earners. We have algorithms and technology that address every single thing down to the most mundane choices, and we somehow have to stuff our income tax return on a postcard so that wealthy people need not do a little bit of heavy math, which they can afford to have a talented CPA do anyways. I don't get it why we can't have 12 brackets, 10 brackets, 11 brackets, whatever to address super, super wealth. You know, why is that? If wealth distribution was acceptable the way it was 10 years ago, why not use policy to return to that distribution? If you see what I'm saying, you know, that way you can re- recuperate some of that enormous wealth that went to the top. I don't understand these. These are questions I don't understand. And I guess I can reiterate what I'm saying as as the following. If markets are socially constructed, therefore wages are so, socially constructed, why can't we create a more equal and just society? And they alleviate the difficulties that the wage slave experiences. I don't understand it. So it's that time again for the content of the month, which is I I decided to take a snippet from Gary V, um, otherwise known as Gary Vayarchuk, Vayarchuk, I forget, I don't know how to say his name. And he's this social media guru, some people call him a kind of a self help type guy, kind of a consultant. He's sort of a brand, uh, you know, it's like putting him, articulating who and what he is, is is difficult. He constantly puts out uh, content, and a lot of it is self-congratulatory. No, it's not self-congratulatory, but a lot of it is designed to promote, self-promotion is what it is. He's definitely an author. We can say that he is an author of books. One of his main books is called Crush It. I don't know a lot about it, but um, there's really a lot to this guy. He took over his father's wine business and grew it significantly. From there, he leveraged it into becoming a digital ad agency guru. And he remains, he continues on that front. But I, you know, when I initially started listening to Gary Vee, I didn't like him, I thought he was a blowhard, and I thought he was full of shit. But the more I listen to him, the more I'm actually pretty, pretty fucking inspired by him. Uh, both in terms of just being alive in this time of being a very fortunate time for people, but also in the context of developing Option 3, the Option 3 project as a component of uh, social media. And 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 being active in the internet and social media realm, he's a big inspiration. So here's here's this snippet I'm going to play. The audio is not great, and what he's talking about in particular is hard work. So I'm going to play, here 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 it is.
1: The fact that you can be in a hundred thousand dollars debt, or lost your parents, or be a single mom with three, and work what you have to do from nine to seven, but can if you want to. Work from 9 to 1 in the morning right. every night building an Instagram account, a vlog, uh, a review site of sneakers, and it could happen if you're good at it. That's incredible. Yeah, that's like amazing. But if you're doing that and you're getting sick or like, you know, like you're, you're falling asleep while you're driving, I'm just trying to make it more binary for people, which is are you happy or are you not? Right. And if you're not, why? Was it parenting? Was it, the you know, are you insecure and you wanna like buy something that makes you feel like you're somebody? Figure yourself out. The hard work is the most controllable. The four of us, the five of us, we only have so much talent in certain things.
0: Sure.
1: Like, I don't know, when I look around here, none of us are going to the NBA. I don't give a shit how, you know, like certain things are DNA, like to me, third grade was when I realized no NBA, no NFL. Maybe I can buy an NFL team, which is where I switched it to and that's it, man. So, you know, I think that's an answer for everybody but I will say this, the hard work is the controllable part. I can't say to everybody, get smarter. You can read but that's information, that's not smarter. Get more charismatic. You know, like these are things that are hard, Right. right? But work an extra two hours if you want it
0: So again, the audio is not great, but what he's talking about is hard work. And what he says is you might not be able to get in the MBA, but you can build an Instagram. You can take it. Basically, you can take an advantage of the Internet and build something that makes value and creates an income ultimately. And it might take time. And if you hear his other clips, he talks about the idea that it might take 15 years. It might take five years. You know, you might make this amount of money, that amount of money, but he always talks about how you can use the internet to your, to your benefit. And I think he's, he's accurate in that sense. And, uh, so that's it content of the month. I wanted to share if you're involved in, um, any type of unusual entrepreneurial pursuit, trying to get out of your day job, you know, let it be an inspiration. It could be anything that you're up to. And, uh, I like the, I like the quote because I like the snippet because he talks about are you getting sick? You know he's 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 being honest. Sometimes I think he's just like yo, yeah, you should just crush it, just crush it. But in this in this snippet, he actually is pointing out. You know, are you struggling? Well, then you got to ask yourself the question: Are you happy? And that's sort of the binary decision: Are you happy with what you're doing? That determines whether you move forward or not. So that's the podcast, everyone. I really appreciate you staying tuned. I'm going to go over the music uh, that's been playing throughout. By order of appearance, we had Autumn Woes by Ryan Little, High School Snaps by Broke for Free, Nothing Else Matters by Mystery Mammal, Yule by Mon Ah by Mystery Mammal, and Comedy by Jazar. I really appreciate people who listened all the way through. And another copy of this will be on YouTube on Tuesday. If there are any subjects people want me to address, feel free to get in touch via Twitter, Facebook, or email. Uh, The handle is Option3Project. That's with the number three. Feel free to email at Option3Project at Gmail. And I hope you have a great week, great month, and I'll talk to you soon.